Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we are thrilled that you're with us today. We have the minimalist with us today, and of course I'm talking about Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. They've been featured in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine. Of course, they have their own podcast. They've spoken at Harvard, Apple, Google. They have their popular documentaries, Minimalism and Less is Now, featured on Netflix. They are in from Los Angeles, California, in the studio with us today. They have a brand new book that you have got to read. We're going to get into that book. We're going to talk about Josh as a three, we're going to talk about Ryan as a type seven, and then they brought their team into the studio with us as well. So we're going to talk about a few of their team members and their types. We're going to dig into their book and talk a good bit about that and their philosophy on minimalism. You are going to love this show. So glad that you're here. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. Without any further ado, here is the host of our show, Ian Crom. All right, Joshua and Ryan, welcome to Typology. Thanks for having us. The minimalists, Anthony, are in the house. Yeah. I read your book last night on a four-hour flight from San Francisco to Nashville, and I got to tell you, I loved it. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's impressive in four hours. I am so envious. I wish I could read that fast. That is unbelievable. I've never read our book in four hours. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, we're going to go into it, but there was so much that I loved about it. And honestly, like, you know how it is. You you have people on your show and you just can't possibly read everything that, Mm. you know, weekly that someone sends, you know. And, uh, but I really wanted to read it because I was familiar with your work before Mm -hmm. and, uh, I loved it. And I'm going to talk about wow. why very specifically uh, as we go along, because it, it was really, it was at times quite moving because you're so mm. transparent or mm. maybe use a better word than transparent. You were so authentic, mm. uh, you know, and yeah. I do think there's a difference between the two. And, Ooh. and I think that uh, what I loved about it, and you reference this in the book is that this is not a how to book. This is a why to book. Yeah. Mm. And I love that. Yeah. So we have so much to talk about. Yeah. And we only have an hour <laughs> to get it done. So All right. let's, uh, let's get it done. All right. So uh, before we get to the book, let's talk a little bit about you. But we have to start here because what follows won't make sense otherwise, which is you need to define minimalism mm. for people. And then we're going to jump into your lives a little bit. Cool. The thing we say in the book is minimalism is the thing that gets us past the things mm. so mm. we can make room for life's most important things, which turns out aren't things at all, right? We have a lot of stuff. One stat in the book is that the average American household has 300,000 items in it. And you know what? I don't think that's bad if it was making us happier or more joyous or more content, mm. but it's often doing the opposite. All these things that we want aren't actually the thing that we want. We think it's going to produce some sort of feeling within mm. us, and maybe it does for a temporary period of time, you know, that pleasure chase. And, and we mistake that pleasure with, with these sort of higher forms of well-being, mm. like tranquility or right. equanimity. And, and so with minimalism, yeah, I say as a minimalist, everything I own serves a purpose or brings me joy. We're not deprivationists. We're not monks. You know, we don't live the, the monastic life. Nothing wrong with that. But what we've tried to identify is what possessions in our life serve us and help us serve others and what is sort of getting in the way. 
unfortunately, it turns out that that most of our stuff is is junk, mm-hmm. and it masquerades mm-hmm. as though it's important or sentimental or even precious. But of course, if everything is precious, then nothing's precious. Mm. But we're clinging on to everything as though I need this. In fact, that word need comes up a whole lot. We've heard uh, this word essential a lot over the last year and a half. Well, I like the book Essentialism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, but especially uh, during the pandemic, it was essential workers, essential travel, essential business. But now people are really starting to look around their homes and Mm. say, what is... What is essential for my life, right? right. Mm-hmm. What stuff is essential to me? And so right. minimalism really starts with the stuff, but it's about clearing the clutter to make room for what's actually important. Right. Mm. Beautiful. Now you're, Josh, you're a three. Yes. On the Enneagram. Ryan, you're a seven. Yeah. And you are relatively new to the Enneagram. Yes. Is yes. that right? Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about threes and sevens. And then this is always fun when you have people in the room that, you know, don't come with all their pre-existing biases and thoughts about the Enneagram and mm. a script because they know their type so well. Right. So this is going to be a little fun. Okay. So every type has an unconscious motivation that powerfully influences how that type habitually and predictably acts, thinks, and feels from moment to moment. And if you, if you think about personality, really, it's in its simplest terms, right? you know, let's eschew sort of the psychological jargon for a moment. It's how you show up for life. Mm. That's it, Mm. right? It's just how you show up for life. Yes. Right? In a way that's probably predictable, right? Um, if If we were dear friends and you showed up and began acting in a way that was uncharacteristic of you, I would say, gosh, Josh isn't himself today. Yeah. 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 Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it has a predictive quality to it. So for threes, the unconscious motivation is uh, a need to succeed, mm-hmm. to appear successful, mm-hmm. and to avoid failure at all costs. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah that's Josh. <laughs> your, your turn's coming yeah but but you know i say that i say that though it, it, it is josh but it's it's very endearing like i actually kind of envy those mm-hmm. those traits and how focused he can get because of what drives him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the irony of this is you know i've had a bit of an awakening over the last few years in particular and 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 waking up to some of the the illusions mm. of success mm. in particular yes. understanding that all success is really failure in a way yes in the sense that i mean you're you're a fan of of, of buddhist thinking and buddhist thinkers and so i think you you would understand that you, any sort of chase is, is an attachment to yes. some mm-hmm. future right and so any chase is is clinging any clinging is failure to me so in a weird way any sort of societal based success right metrics achieving all of these things and so even though my quote-unquote type my my personality is a a three in the sense of of being an achiever but at the same time the the striving for a long time made me miserable yes Mm. yes well when that passion that threes have and we'll talk about that in a moment takes hold the the gift that is inside of that becomes a curse mm-hmm. right? it becomes your undoing and in fact That's in right. your in the book it does become your undoing literally yes yeah. literally like i could i was going to write down my favorite lines and actually i was going to write down my favorite questions that you ask Ooh. in the book mm-hmm. yeah you know that i loved 
right? Because I'm a, I'm a four. I love questions. Don't give me answers. <laughs> Don't give me black and white. Give me grays all day long, That's you know, like sort man. of keep me in that, that space. And I wish I could sit with, with that the same way. Mm. The, oh. Sitting with the, the sort of uncertainty. And I mean, mm. I, I, I desire to do that. And when I become conscious of it, it's great. But I, I'm not predisposed to, right. to simply questioning without answering. Right. I right. have to I have to say like when you said that whole idea of uh, all success is failure. Yeah. Uh and the 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 steps you walk through there that's like a powerful revelation for a 3, right? Mm-hmm. I mean that's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he has a great crash in the book and so we're going to hit that a yeah. little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh because you have uh kind of the maybe the, what I would call the blessed abyss. Mm-hmm. Where you have a crash uh, and that drew your whole identity into question, right? Yes. And mm. it was sort of a classic three crash. Mm. Um, and we're going to get to that. But the seven. Yeah, let's talk about the seven. <laughs> right, let's talk about oh, the seven. Man. So the unconscious motivation of the seven is uh, a really a need to avoid emotional and psychological pain. Mm. Mm. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so, yeah, and the yeah. way that sevens do that is but they're incredibly future-oriented people. Like staying in the present moment is hard for sevens. Mm-hmm. So they're always thinking about a future of unlimited possibilities. Mm. And what's the next escapade? What's the next adventure? What's the new stimulating idea? Yeah. Where's the next exciting restaurant that we can go to and try something new? Yeah. You know, and so you bring at your best this incredible joie de vivre to life. Yeah. You know, in fact, you know the word that you're called the enthusiasts, mm-hmm. and the word enthusiast, if you it derives from uh, Greek words entheos, which mm-hmm. means in God. Mm. Oh wow! Which I love. Yeah, that's great. because when you're at your best, there's this kind of beautiful uh, ability to be in the present, mm-hmm. uh, and when you allow suffering into your life uh you carry this depth and joy at the same time like you're no longer just a happiness freak you become Mm. a joy person Mm. you know Mm. which is a whole different thing right yeah Yeah. 100 percent. and uh so that's just a just a little summary of your types like what what makes you groove yeah you know i have to say ryan's wife is back here smiling the whole time how am i doing Yeah. We're doing all right? Does yeah. this sound pretty accurate so far? Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Well, when I was looking at like, you know, some of the descriptions of a seven, it helped me see why I use so many superlatives. Like, this is the best burger oh I've ever had. <laughs> that is the fanciest this. It, yeah. I, oh I use a lot. Of, I try not to use superlatives, but it's like, I can't help it. They just come out all the time. Yeah. You all love an adverb, man. You just, you know, always very bestest. You, know? right, right, you even yeah. make them up. Right. You, even, right. you know, you kind of already just make up words to, yeah. ex- to express your enthusiasm for, for really for everything. Yeah. The, you know, each type also has what's called a passion, which is this internal emotional motivator that you probably aren't um, conscious of until you are, which is part of the work, right? You mm-hmm. begin to learn things like that unconscious motivation. You begin to learn, okay, what is the interior emotional environment that kind of perpetuates this not so great way of being in the world, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't want to be a person whose identity is predicated on success. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. you don't want to be a person who's avoiding pain right. at all costs. And by yeah. the way, it's because, and we're going to get to your childhood in a minute, yeah. but yeah. but 
it's because most sevens don't believe that they will be supported, that there's oh. no one there to support them when they mm. are. Then the, and so therefore, there, there's a fear of being stuck in the, those painful places forever. Oh, wow. You're getting, yeah. You're making me choke up over here, man. <laughs> That's I've never I've never put it or I've seen it that way. But, right. But yeah, I I get that. Wow. So for the seven, the passion is gluttony, and it mm. doesn't mean around food, <laughs> though it could. Yeah. Uh, what it really means is is that you can't stop consuming life. Mm. It's like you can't get enough fun. You can't get enough adventure. You can't yeah. get enough escapade. You can't yeah. get enough laughs. You give, can't get yeah. enough future. Give me the fire hose mm-hmm. of life. I will take it. Right. Yeah. Right. That is right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but unfortunately, you know about Carl Jung's uh, The Hungry Ghost? No. Uh-uh. Oh, man. If you guys want to read a great book, there's a book by Gabor Mate, who's okay. sort of a comp- confrere of... Um, uh, Johan Hari, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and uh, he's an addictionologist, psychiatrist, and he he talks about the hungry ghost, and it's this uh, Carl Jung came up. It's, it's this creature with a really small mouth and a super long, skinny neck and a distended belly, mm-hmm. and so it can't get the mouth is so small it can't get enough in oh. to fill this giant distended belly, and that's the really the picture of an unhealthy seven. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. It's like yeah. you just can't. Can't get, get enough, enough yeah. and there's such a FOMO-ish fear of deprivation. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh man, I experienced that last night at Ramsey's in the basement with all his whiskeys. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, he has like 300 different kinds of. I'm like, I want to try all these. Yes, you do. <laughs> and, and he did, and I did. <laughs> and, o- only, and half, he did. only half of them. And you still made it here this morning. <laughs> That's right. That's, That's right. right. All right. And so for you, the passion is deceit. Mm. And what that means isn't necessarily that you lie to people. Mm-hmm. It just means, and by the way, this is when you lack self-awareness that I'm describing you sure. or you're unhealthy. Mm-hmm. When you're healthy, you don't look like this at all. It's something sure. more beautiful and mm-hmm. really actualized. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. But when you're not doing great, uh-huh. you, um, you uh, are able to, you have like a kaleidoscope. Threes have a kaleidoscope of masks, mm. and they can keep swapping them out mm-hmm. in order to win the admiration of whoever it is that they're with. Yeah, there's, uh, a, there's an element of control in that, mm-hmm. and controlling the narrative. Totally. And uh, yeah, that, that is definitely a, um, a desire of mine that I, I constantly have to push against as soon as I become aware of it, because... Mm. because fundamentally it doesn't matter but in the moment it feels like well you know as long as it's being orderly it's it's an ocd-ness in a way right that that obsessive compulsive desire to control things now part of that is probably birthed from a childhood where a lot of there was a lot of uncertainty yes and and so in that uncertainty that you control the few things that you can control. I was obese as a kid, mm. uh, like significantly. I was the fattest kid in our school. That's when Ryan and I met. We were the two fattest kids in school. And, um, and, and, and that uh, was one of the few things I could control. I was like, well, I could put food in my mouth, basically, and, and have some sort of moment, momentary gustatory pleasure and um he and- just said gustatory i just <laughs> i just want to say that that's maybe the first time on our show someone has used that most excellent word continue <laughs> yes yeah so so I'm, I'm controlling the mastication um <laughs> he's got a lot of good words you really sure. need, um, you need to really enunciate that word just right right i just want to say 
Uh, but yeah, I found that you know, controlling uh, controlling childhood wherever I could, you know, whether it was like organizing the G.I. Joes in the appropriate bins, the bad guys go here, the good guys go here. Beautiful metaphor, by the way. I didn't realize it for about 30 years until 30 years later. And, you know, their weapons go into a third bin sort of thing, controlling the very few variables I had. Uh, unfortunately, you can't control everything when you grow up. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that, like, everything's out of your control. And that, that starts to feel like... Yeah, the lack of order feels like chaos. Well, it's interesting. I think, uh, and I've said this before, right, Anthony, that your type, obviously, there's a genetic sort of proclivity, right? We all have sort of a disposition and a temperament that, mm. you know, sort of powerfully influences our, our personalities. Like, you know, kids come out and you can just tell sometimes right away, like, okay, <laughs> I know what this is going to be. Mm. You know, it's just like they just, it's fairly clear, right? Yeah. Um, but there's environmental factors, right? And so it's pretty clear, and I don't think this is outing you guys because the book is, as I said, very authentic and real, that, you know, trauma affects personality formation. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so as I read the book, I just kept thinking, you know, of course, well, of course you're a seven. Mm. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Like, why wouldn't you be? Right. Mm. Yeah. That, that helps you survive childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it is. Yeah. I love, man, the more and more I dig into this Enneagram stuff, the more I love it. But, but yeah, I, I was looking at the Enneagram. I'm like, Oh, no wonder I like self-medicated with drugs and alcohol in the yeah. corporate world. Yeah. No wonder when I was a kid, like I never felt like I could play enough. I always felt like playtime wow. ended early. Yeah. I, I never had enough time with my friends. I always felt like I needed to hang out with my friends more. Um, but yeah, it's, I was, that was just another form of self-medication. I yes, think. I remember in the corporate world, you used to say like w- when people would go out for a drink, it would y- you would amplify things. Yeah, you know, so it wasn't like you know, what's the the sort of vapid line about drink to remember, not to forget, sort of thing. <laughs> but but there there was a, a time in, in the corporate world where it was like, well, this is outstanding. How could I make it even more outstanding? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's. Were you I, a stimulant guy? Oh, uh. Not so much because my mom was a stimulant gal. Okay. And uh, I, I did like do some stimulants, but like it felt so good. I was like, oh, this is why mom got in so much trouble. So like I kind of steered away okay. from this. I was more of like a pill head. Okay. Uh, yeah. Opioid type. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it, and to Josh's point, it, that's exactly what it was. Like I never did the drugs to cover anything up. Like I never had a the only thing I was covering up was withdrawal. I mean, that's the only negative thing where I'm like, Oh, I got to go get something. Cause I'm like going through withdrawal. But, um, typically when I had the idea like, Oh yeah, I'm going to like crush up that Percocet and snort it. It was always about, I feel good. I can feel better. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. I totally, and I'm not a seven, but that was mm. my thing. Yeah. You know, if, if I could, uh, and actually, you know, in some ways looking back, Bill W has this thing. I felt like looking back and I don't want to, romanticize or make it some kind of heroic quest that I'm describing. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it was almost, uh, I felt like looking back, I can see that I was a frustrated mystic Mm -hmm. that I was chasing some window of experience that was, uh, a desire for communion with, with God, Uh Mm. the experience of it, the feeling of the felt experience of it. Right. The problem is, is that window is very narrow 
and you rarely hit it. You can in the early days, more often than in the later days. It's a very small window, so all day long, you're going past it or under it, and you're constantly chasing the dragon, right? You're just, you're going up and down, up and down, looking for the window. But of course, you know. And then when you find it, it lasts for about 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> and oh, it man. leads to the next chase, yes. oh, which then God. makes you miserable again. It goes right. back to the whole failure yeah. conversation, right? Is it In a weird way, because this isn't math. It's it's more poetry than it is math. But there's sort of an equation side to it where mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. attachment is chasing, chasing is clinging, clinging is suffering, suffering is failure. Mm-hmm. And, and as you go through that, you realize like, Oh yeah, the the pursuit of happiness, the chasing you, know, it's in the fabric of our country, you pursue happiness. Yes, yes. But that's the, the very thing that makes us miserable, right? right? And, and so that that chase, you know, because happiness can't be pursued, it can only be uncovered. It's already right. there. You see it in, you know, my daughter when she was 2 years old and the, the sort of pure happiness or joy, whatever you want to call it, we can use these different words that mean the same thing, but but basically it's there. It doesn't need to be pursued. It simply emanates. Mm-hmm. Although we become acculturated to believe it does need to be pursued. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and achieved and, right. and accomplished. And as though it's there on the horizon. As soon mm-hmm. as I get to that horizon, I'm right. going to be there. But of yeah. course, there's always a new horizon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember like just being super high and like feeling really good. But then I would start to mourn the mm. fact that I knew it wasn't going to last. Right. So like even when I would get to the highest point, I was looking into the future like, well, I'm only mm. going to feel like this for about 10 or 20 minutes. And then, yeah, man, uh, the, the yeah, the chase. I'm so like, because I still like drink, but I don't, it's a different mechanism now. Like mm. it's not, I'm not chasing anything with it. I'm not trying to hide anything with it. Mm. I'm not trying to alter my state with it. I mean, I'm not saying I, you know, I don't get to altered states anymore, but um, it's just a completely different, I don't know, baseline or, mm. yeah, there's not a pursuit happening with it now. So in many ways, this book really is about, there's a, there's a parallel here, right? Um, because one of the things that I love about the book is you talk about this idea that minimalism isn't uh, deprivation, yeah, you no. know, deprivationism. It's not, uh, it's not, a, the, the point of minimalism is not to, move away from having stuff as it must, right. as it is about making space for the stuff that matters. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting is minimalism. It might be like this Trojan horse for maximalism in a way, mm. because what we're trying to do is trying to help people maximize this, you know, this human experience, like, mm. and, and, and get through it without all the pain and the suffering and the chasing. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I mean, you could, you could call it maximalism, hmm. you know, but the maximalists, it wasn't available at the domain. So we went with the minimalists. There you go. <laughs> we, we, it's we, all about the URL. That's man. right. That's right. <laughs> There's a reason we don't write books about tidying up. Right. And, right. and, and, or, or do podcasts or anything like that. You know, our, our podcast, people call in and it often starts with the stuff because people think they have a stuff problem. Right. Right. And they think that stuff problem is going to be solved with some decluttering tips, but that's, is your problem really a shortage of decluttering tips? Mm. Of course not. I mean, if I hand you a book, we hear the seven ways to clean out your closet. It's been written. 
Yeah, exactly. Over and over and over, right? And yet all of our closets are still cluttered. Well, why is that? It's because of the narrative we tell ourselves that if I, if I buy these things, they're aspirational purchases, I'll be this kind of person who's right. achieving, who's successful, mm. who has status. Uh, all of these things are, uh, we amass trinkets to say something about ourselves, right? Mm. And so in a weird way, buying the stuff, we, we figure out at some point, that doesn't make us happy. Unfortunately, we then turn away and say, well, you know what? Getting rid of the stuff will make me happy. And <laughs> right. That's another chase. And, and no, it's not. In fact, sometimes people will call into the podcast and say, you know what? I minimized everything. Why, did, why don't I feel good now? Mm. It's because, well, you're trying to feel good by letting go of the stuff. Mm. Instead of making that room to start asking some of these deeper questions. Like, right. what's truly important in my life? Yeah, mm. so you... Um and this again is why I love it because when you make space, right? When you declutter your external world, which in many ways is a reflection of your internal world, right? Without it's a projection doubt. of it. Then what, what begins to happen is the green shoots of your true self begin to emerge, right? Mm. The real questions begin to appear, many of which you may have been avoiding. Yes. Unconsciously. Mm. Questions like, who am I? Mm -hmm. why am I, why am I here? Yeah. Why am I carrying this pain? Because yeah. who wants to look at pain? And that's one of the things in the book, right? Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. guys, as this clutter began to go away, and this is, by the way, in terms of Enneagram work, this is Enneagram work, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. what you're doing is uh, beginning to shed yourself of those things which prevent you from being the highest expression of who you are. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so for, for you guys, it seems to me that what began to come up was your stuff, mm -hmm. mm. grief, pain, yeah. anxiety. Right. I don't mm -hmm. want to tell your story, but Ryan, tell me, you know, for you, that was clearly an experience. Right. As you began to eliminate stuff, it's like you began to have to look at maybe what I, what I would call the the the, the deprivation yeah right the yeah. whole yeah you know oh man yeah and it's and, and to be honest like i'm still doing work on mm -hmm. myself you know um but this idea of living with less is uh it does make room for for me to do that work but yeah the the stuff is just the initial bite of the apple mm. i mean when i because i did this packing party where uh, like Josh told me about minimalism, and I'm like, "All right, man, I'm in. This sounds great. Seven, be in the seven. <laughs> <laughs> How can I get more minimalism? <laughs> exactly, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, but I didn't know what to do. I'm like, "All right, I'm minimalist. Like, now what? So, uh, we came up with this idea of a packing party where uh, we pretended like I was moving. Josh came over, helped me pack up everything. You know, my clothes, my kitchenware, my towels, TVs, electronics, frame photographs and paintings, my toiletries, my furniture, everything." And uh, I spent the next three weeks um, unpacking, you know, clothes for work, toothbrush, toothpaste, bed sheets, tool set, the furniture I actually used. Um, but when I was faced with all the leftover stuff, that is where the work probably really started to begin with all this internal stuff. Because I just kind of had this light bulb moment of like, oh, here's like this physical manifestation of what's going on inside of me. And there's a lot going on that like I... I I need to figure out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I donated and I sold and recycled like pr pretty much all of it. Um, and that's really where the minimalists.com started. It was with that packing party story. But what I love about what we do 
is the stuff. And, and we do talk about getting rid of stuff a lot, but that is, you know, our, to use the metaphor again, it's our Trojan horse for us to really talk about whatever we want. And what we're really trying to do is help people heal in a way. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, it does start with this stuff because that's, you know, that's a physical thing that you can, it's tangible, right? Like it's right there in front of you. Like you can associate with it. Um, so it's an easy place to start, but it is just the beginning. So what was going on inside? Mm. Well, you know, it's kind of what you were talking about. Um, the chasing, uh, the avoidance of, mm. f- of feeling certain emotions. The, Which one's particular for you? Mm, Anxiety is a big one. Mm. I still struggle with that. Mm. Um, it, it, you know, the childhood didn't help for sure. I mean, that was because you said something that really did like choke me up a little bit um, about feeling like uh, I couldn't be supported. Mm. <laughs> I'm getting like choked up talking about it. Mm. Um, but that was my childhood mm-hmm. and I was running away from that sadness, you know? Um, so yeah, there was definitely some of that going on and I do feel, I mean, now it's funny cause I do feel supported, but like what gets me choked up is just thinking about that little kid that, you know, didn't have a lot of support, you know? So now as a man, how easy is it for you to sit with that feeling? it's really difficult right now. I didn't even realize it until you said it. I didn't even realize it. So it, this is new for me. Hmm. This is really new. Wow. Yeah. Cause it, um, I'm just going to lean in a little bit. Yeah. It, let's do it. it, um, the visual image I have is sevens at times. And many of my dearest friends are sevens. Um, is that before they do their work, it's like you're watching them skating just in front of the cracks. And they're always looking over their shoulder and they're just faster, faster, faster. They're on the lake and the crack is coming up behind them and they're yeah. just skating, skating, I think I have skating. those dreams legitimately of what you're describing. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, so part of the healing journey for sevens is how can I stay in this present moment? Because that's where the miracles happen is, mm. in, is in the present moment. How can I stay there? And, uh, you know, the word allow... I mean, suffer actually in its uh, derivation comes from the word to allow, mm. Mm. right? Yeah. So to allow the feelings of grief and anxiety and uh, sadness to have their way with you, mm. Mm. you know, yeah. until they're done. And the realization that all things are impermanent, including your feelings. Yeah. Amen. Right? Yeah, yeah. They're just going to blow through like a weather system, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and they're going to be followed by other feelings yeah. and by other feelings. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's just going to last. And, and then what happens for the seven is they develop this depth, right? Because as long as you won't have the feelings, you'll be shallow. Right. Yeah, that's true. You'll be entertaining as hell. But, but, yeah. but, and, but what's entertaining, so it makes you class clown in ninth grade, mm-hmm. kind of makes you an idiot at 35. Yeah, you know you can't make fart um, jokes at 35 and have people really take you seriously. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, just Absolutely. doesn't work. Yeah, well, uh, occasionally. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> with the guys, cigars, you know, Ramsey right. basements, right, whiskey. Right. You know, sure, yeah. I'm sure Ramsey likes a great oh, fart man. joke. Anyway, um, I do know the more that I meditate, the the more I can go through life living yes. in the present moment. So yes. there are mechanisms that I do have in my life that I know when I use those tools, like right. I, I can mm-hmm. sit with things a little bit better. Well, you sure. have Sam Harris on your show, right? Yeah. And and yeah. others, and and as people know. In fact, we're doing a, a live uh, stream tonight 
my meditation teacher is coming, and we're actually teaching meditation. Mm-hmm. We got the cushions on the floor. We're going to do the whole thing. Basic That's introduction awesome. to wow. mindfulness uh, <laughs> tonight. Isn't that and, interesting? We have to teach mindfulness. We have to teach meditation. It's so. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really. Yeah. There's something ironic there, but it's totally necessary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're not alone. I'm going to come at you now, man. I've been, I've been digging on Ryan <laughs> well, for a while. I didn't one. think I was going to make no, it I'm through that, man. <laughs> I do want to just highlight that. Um, I'm learning how to manipulate them. This is perfect. <laughs> Violation Enneagram Ethics 1. Yeah. <laughs> um, that Enneagram 7s are typically one of the more anxious Yes. Types. Okay. They don't look like it. That. Yeah, no, they don't look like it. it. He, does, he never strikes me as the anxious type. In yeah. fact, it seems as though it's just water off a duck's back. Nope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because like I do dig into the Enneagram stuff. It talks about how I don't want people to see me being anxious. So oh, like, no. Yeah. So like it's a good day for me is when I don't feel like other people perceive me as yes. anxious. Mm-hmm. Yes. N- not that you weren't, weren't anxious, but just that other people didn't <laughs> perceive you as anxious. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Joshua. So what's your greatest fear in life quickly? Uh, yeah, I'd probably be an insignificant. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It, which is, of course, yeah we derive significance from externalities until we realize that doesn't yes. work. And then we try other externalities right. because, well, clearly the problem was, you know, it wasn't a nice enough Lexus. So then I'll buy the different right. Lexus. Right. And, and then when the stuff clearly isn't working, then it's like, well, okay, maybe it's Twitter followers or maybe it's significance through any other external right. means. Right? So, and, but it's interesting as a three, you're, their focus would be on externalities. Mm -hmm. So because for them, when they're not healthy, seeming is more important than being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Surfaces are more important than substance. Right. Right. So buying the Lexus, Uh uh, having a lot of Twitter followers, you know, whatever it is, those become uh, symbols of success. And that means of being lovable Mm -hmm. because the, the three believes that the world only values people for what they do, not for who they are inside, mm-hmm. right? For what they accomplish, for what they achieve. And their great fear is that they won't be valued yeah. or significant, right? right? Your mm-hmm. fear is of, of being insignificant, sure. right? Um, and so that's this pursuit of messaging to the world. Mm-hmm. I'm successful. Yeah. And that's almost a three's way of saying, uh, almost like, I'm lovable. Yeah. I, I'm valuable. And I've developed an allergy to it recently. Our, our, and we had a whole conversation with the ther- with a therapist on our podcast uh, recently and, because it was the same time our publisher reached out and said, hey, congratulations, the book's a New York Times bestseller. And a piece of me wants to be like, yeah, get on the mountaintop and, and, and tell people, look how significant. I am. Mm-hmm. But I've also seen the mirage as a mirage now. Right. And I realize that is, you know, it, it's not only is it irrelevant in terms of well-being, like right. true well-being, but it's also simply a mirage in the sense that, well, you can game that system right. or, or okay, competition is really a mental illness, which is really difficult to discuss. That's hard for a three. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so realizing that, oh my gosh, you know what? Um, I there was a piece of me a decade ago who would have wanted this more than anything, but 
at the same time, it doesn't change anything. This isn't the reason that we do what we do, although there would have been a time that it was the reason. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah, you, it, that was the outcome, as opposed to it being a byproduct of something that's a lot more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Buddhists have a great vision of this, right? They they talk about praise and praise, uh, praise and um, God. It's opposite. Um, maybe it's praise and blame, gain uh -huh. and loss. It just has this long list. It goes, "Be like a tree who stands in the middle of them all." Yes, right. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. a journey for all of us, right? Is, yeah. is to not attach to these things which give us a sense of identity, of solidness, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm significant. You know, I'm. Mm -hmm. You know, this this sort of thing. Okay, quickly, your greatest fear. Oh, my greatest fear. Um uh, an anxiety attack. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think. I've had those. They are not fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, man, my actually, you know, okay. My biggest fear, this is, this is like kind of out there, but, uh, it is something I worry about. So I was raised Jehovah's witness and there's this whole concept of good and evil. Right. And, uh, you know, the idea is if you are Jehovah's witness, you're good. If you're not a Jehovah's Witness, then you are serving Satan. You are serving the devil. Right. And mm. it was um, ingrained in me from a from birth, this good and evil. Mm -hmm. My biggest fear is that I think I'm doing good, but I'm actually doing evil. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Y'all wow. learning something about each other today. Is that, uh, yeah, it yeah. is. <laughs> that is really powerful. Yeah. You know what's really beautiful about you, Ryan, is that I sense... That in hitting, you hit a classic seven wall, right? Mm -hmm. the, you know, whether it's drugs, drinking, you've got this, this past chasing you, right? A family past that's chasing you. You've tried everything you can to stuff, gluttonously stuff your life with anything to, to you know, neutralize pain. Yes. Didn't work. Hit a wall mm -hmm. and then began to do your work, allowing pain to have its way with you. Yeah. And it's created such a depth. I mean, I've just been watching in this show I mean, I've had sevens on this show, man. It was like, it was like babysitting, man. <laughs> it was like, get the Adderall, man. I don't know. And, and it, you know, and the, and the conversation was so surface. Mm -hmm. You know, it was funny, but yeah. so surface. And mm -hmm. what's so beautiful about the conversation with you is watching your uh, ability to stay with what's happening. Mm -hmm. And just even making an admission like that for a seven is impressive. <laughs> Dude, I'm... I'm trying to get my paycheck out of this uh, this interview. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> my and, paycheck is this therapy session. <laughs> yeah. Meters running. Uh, and, and what's so beautiful about listening to you is that you've got this um, self awareness. You talk about the mirage, mm -hmm. uh, the illusion that success is going to mean anything at the end of the day. Like at the end of your life, who's going to? What are you going to give a shit about? Right. Really. If if uh, the only thing they remember about you is that you were a New York Times bestseller. Yeah. And by the way, 100 years from now, the planet will be full of new human beings. That's right. That's right. That's and, Anne Lamott says it, right? She yeah. goes, do you know what's going to be different about 100 years from now? All new people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and a thousand years from now, you'd be lucky to be a footnote. And even if you are a footnote, who cares? It, was it uh, uh, Woody Allen who said... Um, I don't want to live on. I don't want to live on in people's hearts and minds. I want to live on in my apartment. That did. That was very good. That was, good. That was very good. Oh. 
But again, I do sense, and I sense it in the book, and we're going to dive deeper into the book because I don't, I could talk on this level all day long, yeah, but awesome. I do want to make sure we talk a little bit about your, the, the new book. But what's, what I love about this is that the book isn't, um, how am I say it? It is focused on the, these deeper issues, right? You, you talk about relationships, right? You talk about uh, living in truth. You talk about values. You talk about all this stuff that you can focus on once your life is decluttered, right? Mm-hmm. Once, the wind, once the windshield isn't like full of stuff, you know, and you can't see anything, it's like clear. if you're brave enough to clear the space, and I would say brave enough mm-hmm. to clear the space, then all this other stuff is going to find its way into your life and bring the, the treasure you're looking for. But, but it not, you know, David Foster Wallace says the, uh, uh, the, about the truth. He, he says that um, uh, the truth will set you free, but only after it's had its way with That's you. That's right, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, so there is that moment where why didn't minimizing make me feel good is because, well, it might make you feel bad first in, in, in the sense that you're going to start asking some, quest- some questions that subconsciously you were avoiding for a long time. Hmm. And it's really opened up for me over the last decade, those questions about achievement, success, externalities in general. And in a way, I've started to develop a bit of an allergy to success. And uh, whether or not that's healthy, I, I don't know. But um, I've just really become turned off by the idea of um, needing that to be the to be me. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm. So two very three things that I'm excited about that you said. Okay. So one of the great fears that threes have is that the, that behind all the masks of success, uh, all the externalities, there's no one there. Mm. And so when you start to talk about, you know, identity, which you just did, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that an aversion to success and all those things, right? Mm-hmm. The journey for the three is moving toward authentic personhood, mm. uh, yeah. right? It's like toward, so that's the antidote to deceit is right. authentic personhood. Right. Mm. And that's what you're describing just then was authentic personhood and that that's more and more what you're concerned with. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yeah, I think I think I've been taking a shovel to the the sort of facade and digging deeper the last few years because there is all all the stuff on the surface, whether it's the mirage or, you know, it's a a facade. it, It is it is the outward appearance, but it is also not. It's incongruous with the with the internal in many mm-hmm. ways. Yes, and um, and of course it doesn't have to be. Right, right. Well, we all want alignment. Yes. Right. We we all want alignment. Your journey, according to the Enneagram, is to move from gluttony to what's called sobriety, which doesn't mean necessarily abstinence from mood altering substances. Sure. Well, what it really means is allowing the the ability to be mindful in the present moment versus mindless in some future of fun, yeah. uh, of avoidance, right? Yeah. It, it's the journey to the ability to go from a, uh, 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 a jumping attention to the ability to stay focused on something, com- to move toward completion yeah. in one thing at a time, right? Yeah, yeah 100%. And I, yeah. yeah. So, it's, it's hard for me to not constantly think about the next thing. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. And, and it's, 
in the sobriety piece of it, the way that I interpret that is um, because I do get, you know, endorphins get released. I get high off of uh, just when someone comes up and they're like, dude, you changed my life. And they give me a big old hug. Like, I love that. Sure. Yeah. But it's it's almost like I love it too much, Mm. you know, in a way. Um, And the sobriety is just being able to sit without needing the endorphins to affirm that I'm a good person. Right. Yeah. Oh, man, I love that. Mm. So it's interesting. I was thinking about the nine types of minimalism Mm. and like which ones would struggle more with it and which ones would have an easier time. That's fascinating. I don't know if I'm right. Right. I was on the plane last night going, I don't know, you know, trying to go around it. But I was thinking about Anthony that improvers once Mm -hmm. sometimes they used to be called the perfectionists Mm -hmm. would have a relatively easy time Mm -hmm. with this Mm -hmm. um because you said yeah Yeah, my wife's a one okay and because of the order thing and and really also because it's the right thing to do Uh it's a it's the it's good people would do this Uh right right you're smiling you're smiling yeah yeah i think my wife's had similar revelations to me recently like good and bad are generally constructs we highly moralize everything in in our society right you you should drink more water you should go to college you should join this facebook group whatever it is or you shouldn't eat that or whatever it is we've 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 created all of these shoulds you we're shooting all over ourselves and 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 there aren't things that we're supposed to do, but I, I, I can see that in Bex, my wife uh, in particular, where, where, although I think there's a lot of this in all of us, you know, and, and maybe it's a learned behavior from her childhood. Uh, her family's very um, righteous hmm. and, uh, um, yeah, and one might even say self-righteous mm-hmm. at times, right? And thinking that, you know, it's, I think what we, what we do when we become self-righteous, we inadvertently place ourselves on a pedestal, don't mm-hmm. realize we're doing it, mm-hmm. and, and how that's like um, the opposite of compassionate because if you're looking down on everyone thinking as though I have the answer. And by the way, I've done it as, as a three as well, and it, it manifests a bit differently. It's much stronger in ones, though, I will yeah. say. Yeah. That, that uh, taking the moral high ground. Yes. Yeah, but then also realizing that that's generally an illusion as well. Yes, mm-hmm. right. And in their journey, I'm not sure if this is your for your wife or not. It's really their passion is anger, and and part mm-hmm. of the anger, it, it doesn't feel like anger like an eight. No. It feels like resentment, Ooh. just beneath the skin. And so the resentment is not everybody else is as concerned with ordering in the world and making it better as I am. Yes, and. I'm, I am annoyed that I'm having to pick up the slack uh-huh. that everybody else is not doing, right? right? right. That's, that's just a piece of it. Yeah. And so uh, their journey is to serenity. Mm. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot control, change, whatever. Yes. Uh, the, Convince. Yes. Persuade. Yeah, be right uh-huh. all the time or whatever it is, right? And it's so important, though, for self-compassion here because when I describe your motivation and your motivation or your wife's motivation, we just need to understand that these are wounds. Mm. And mm. these are just management systems. Mm. Personality is largely a management system mm. for childhood wounds to, you're talking about babies, that essential self that came into the world. Yeah. Personality becomes an overlay to guard that essential self eventually yes. from being hurt. Right. Right. And so, uh, so beautiful. So I think, Anthony, just really quick, I think once fives, easiest mm-hmm. time ever. Mm-hmm. Right, they yeah. are minimalists. Oh, yeah. That's how we describe Wait, Jordan's them. Jordan's a five, right? Jordan, am Jordan's I right on this? Are you a minimalist by nature? Do you have a really old printer in your house that is really hard for you to replace because it's like I don't want to spend the money? It's not a printer. 
What is it? <laughs> His old camera. No, I have, I have hundreds of cameras. Hundreds <laughs> of them. You're, you're, by the way, Anthony, I watched a uh, documentary on Bill Wyman, the bassist for the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Okay. I've never seen a stronger five ever. <laughs> this guy has a basement. He took pictures and films from the time they started to the time he left 31 years later. Wow. It's the great, he has every like trinket. He has every poster from every oh, show. Wow, wow. He has, it's like his basement is like, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy needs to be like assisted immediately. Like he needs an archivist, you know. Uh, but I'm afraid he won't let anyone in the basement. But fives are notorious minimalists. But but partly because, and tell me if this is true for you. But now we're moving into the space here. We got three other people in the room, three other types. Um, so like with fives, they have a profound need for independence, self sufficiency. They are very frightened of experiencing emotions in the moment for fear that could be overwhelming. They tend to think their way toward feelings. They postpone feelings into the future where they can process them alone, right? Not in public. Um, People might say about you that you at times seem emotionally distant, possibly unavailable. and uh, when, in fact, you have a great deal of feelings, probably as a child, you were very, very sensitive, really sensitive. You loved school because, uh, no, I'm going to tell you what, you love to learn. Yes. You, you have an addiction to knowledge and information. What's my, my uh, Instagram handle? Jordan No More. Yeah. yeah. Jordan No More. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is so, this is good. You can't make it up. This is so perfect. The deal is it's five generally do not like to come onto a podcast and you didn't vote for this because <laughs> <laughs> you're so private you you he tend is. to you yeah. tend to hoard this is where you get into trouble uh-huh. you tend to hoard privacy personal information um, yes <laughs> uh, your resources but you are a minimalist by nature because you don't want to be encumbered Right. And you don't want to you you tend to get drained by being with people pretty dramatically. Like you need to retreat real hard. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, because your tank is this big for relationships, you can go all day long uh, with people. Yeah. But it dra- I mean, in terms of. It, well, because you're an introvert. Introvert. Yeah. So, so like three introverts are not necessarily very common, by the way. Y- mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I but. People often think that, you know, I'm an extrovert because I'm socially competent. So I can spend all day with people, but then I'm going to need three days to recover sort of thing. Yes. Okay. But you were very outgoing. You were the first person. I noticed when we came in the house, you Mm. were the first person to extend your hand, warm, inviting, uh, enthusiastic, smiling. Maybe this is the first meeting of the day. So, you know, maybe if I was your third interview today, (laughs) you'd have come in dragging a little bit, you know. But um, just am I describing you pretty well? Okay, so Jordan said spot. A, a natural five is very minimalistic, mm. but then the problem is, is you become it doesn't it goes from minimalism to hoarding uh, and turning in on yourself versus toward relationship. Mm. You know, because uh, you have a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset. That's typical five, right? Mm. I won't hit your types yet. <laughs> we don't have the time. Let's just move them over for the next right, round. Right. Okay. So That's once right. five, sixes, and threes, I think, would have an easier time. Yeah. I think the harder time ones would be two, four, seven, eight, and nine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unless the seven thought 
minimalism the next great adventure right that's exactly what it was yeah but you know if it wasn't for josh i don't know if i would have went down that road Mm. like if i just saw it you know on facebook or something i probably just would have been like Mm -hmm. oh that's neat but you know i don't know if that'll work for me but like i saw how it changed josh and i was like oh i love changing especially when it's for the better so well i think um again in reading the book what really moved me was the authentic stories about your own lives, mm-hmm. um, which you hold up as a value in relationships. You know, we were, yeah. you were talking about Johan Hari and how connection is the antidote to addiction. Yes. And I believe that yeah. from personal experience, you know, and, and being in recovery groups every week, that that's the solution. You know, mm. it's not just detox and you know, it, yeah. you, if that's all you do, you're done for. You'll be back into that over and over and over again. But really human connection, purpose, value, good work, mm-hmm. being a, co- a contributor to the community. That, those are the solutions. Yes. Right. right? Yeah, uh, Kapil Gupta says we are smitten with how-tos. And I think that's people come to the whole minimalism thing or, or the, the, whether it's recovery or whatever. And it's give me the seven step plan so I can right. do this. But of right. course, that never no. works. I mean, it works for a short period of time right. until you discover you don't have a why and you've, mm-hmm. you've been given a bunch of hows and now you're doing it and you're like well why am i doing this yes and then all of a sudden you're immediately off the the train tracks. right so you talk in the book about stuff is one chapter yeah the first one seven right? essential relationships all right what yeah. are they so it, going in order we start with the stuff because we're the minimalist right. and all of the things that, that, that clutter our lives are really just a representation of the internal clutter the mental clutter emotional clutter spiritual clutter career clutter relationship clutter all that stuff that's going on Mm. inside us right so it starts with the stuff then it goes beyond that relationship with the truth because we're often lying to god that was so convicting to me man yeah the (laughs) (laughs) and 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 the stories the stories that are in there you know ryan and i sort of cut ourselves open and 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 poured our guts onto the page and and in this book talked about some things we've never talked about before Mm -hmm. uh beyond that our relationship with ourselves you know the person we talk to the most right is us and um our relationship with our values quite often we don't know what our values are or certainly Mm -hmm. if we're feeling discontented is because we value one thing but our actions align with some other sort of someone else's value system sort of mimetic values in a way yeah and then uh, our values or our relationship with money uh, of course it breaks up relationships and marriages and businesses and makes us very discontent and and uh, we are going into debt to buy a bunch of stuff we don't need or want and so we have a contentious relationship with with money our relationship with creativity which is really also about our relationship with distractions in a way because we're we we've been told we're consumers Mm-hmm. But really, we're, 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 and that's true to an extent, but we have been told so much that we're consumers that we forgot that we're also creators. Yes. Yes. I, I actually loved this idea that I wrote in one of the margins that what, it seemed to me that one of the messages of the book is how do you move from being a consumer to a contributor? Mm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, ultimately what we want to do is contribute beyond ourselves in a meaningful way. I think all human beings have an intrinsic desire to contribute to others, mm-hmm. right? And ultimately, the others is the last relationship, our relationship with people. Mm-hmm. Originally, we wanted it to just be a relationship book, sort of traditional relationship book. But we realized that we had all these other relationships we needed to heal first mm-hmm. before we could start even talking about our relationship wow. with the the people we love. And wow. I, I think we misunderstand love. And so that, that last chapter... When we, there's a section in there called uh, Love is More. And in there we talk about, well, 
you know, we, we say, I, you know, I love my wife, but I love burritos. And, and it's like a language problem to a certain extent. I think we start to get confused. When we say we love something, quite often we mean extreme like. I really, really, really like this thing. I guess I love it. Well, that's just a misunderstanding of love. To love someone is to see them for who they are without trying to change them. Mm. And man, that's really hard for a three because uh, I'm it's good. For, at, oh, it's hard for all. Of us. I'm good at fixing problems, right? But of course, <laughs> you know, we're not machines; we can't be fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and so, you know, in terms of our relationships with people, um, when we wrote this book, I realized, like, oh, I we had to heal a whole bunch of other areas of our life before we improved our relationships. It was not the initial intention. We didn't say, all right, A plus B plus C equals D. It was was a byproduct. Our relationships became markedly better Hmm. when our actions started aligning with our values and the person we wanted to be. Hmm. You know, it's interesting that you end with people. I've been thinking about this and I've never, I haven't thought about this for years, but when I was in my late twenties, I, um, I lived in a three bedroom house that was, you know, fully furnished and I, uh, it was a rental. I moved out of that. I moved into a two bedroom apartment and got rid of everything except my bed. Mm. And I lived there for a year with just a bed. Yes. And what happened was I ended up with, uh, six other people living with me. And so it's like I got rid of stuff and I ended up with people. Yes. So <laughs> there were two other people living in one room and four people living in the den. Oh, oh wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. And I just, there were people everywhere. It was yes. like no stuff but people. Yeah. You, you made room for the relationships. Yeah. And you, in this case, literally. Yeah. But also figuratively. Uh, quite often we, we accidentally sort of marginalize, we forsake the people that we love for the things we think we love. Hence the, the title of the book. You'll love people use things because the opposite never works. Unfortunately, we do the opposite. Ryan and I did the opposite for a long time. We used people. Mm. We loved, or at least thought we loved things. Mm. And man, what a recipe for discontent. Yeah. Mm. Well, love people use things. That's the big message today, dude. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm a fan. I'm a awesome. fan. Yeah. I'm a fan of uh of you guys. I'm I'm really yeah. grateful. If you find yourself in LA and you want to come on our podcast, Careful. you have an open invitation. <laughs> <laughs> we will we will gladly awesome. come your way. I'll we'll hang out. I'd love that too. I yeah. will go anywhere where somebody uses the word rumpin in the first sentence of the book. The I just want to say, that. I bet if that's the first thing I thought. I was thinking that that was a fight with the editor right there, man. <laughs> yes. That, so, so, one, I knew that. One of my favorite novelists is a crime fiction uh, writer named Adrian McKinty. And um, so this first page is actually written sort of as an homage to, to his writing style. Oh, cool. But yeah, so the streets are rumpin with uniformed men wielding titanic assault rifles. <laughs> <laughs> the first line of a book called Love People Use Things. And, um, you know, that, that, that whole section is sort of about pandemic preparation. The original first line of the book, though, which the, the publisher called me and they said, hey, um, I don't want the readers to hate you in the first line of the book. Can yeah, you, wait. Can wait you a wait paragraph. Wait two or three <laughs> chapters? And so the original first line was, um, I cheated on my wife the day after my mother died of cancer. And um, because we talk about a lot of things in the yeah, book, yeah, right. and I wanted to set it up right away. And, and they're like, give them some time to like you before they hate you. Mm. And, and so 
I mean, Ryan and I deal with shame in this book. Mm. If anything, this book is a is a vehicle mm. to help transport people out of the shame that we experience. Because here's the thing. The reason we wrote about a lot of those things, whether it's ending up in a mental institution for a week or it is you know, the drug abuse, alcohol abuse, the, the familial abuse, you know, domestic abuse uh, that was going on when we were kids. We have a lot of us deal with shame around these things mm. because we think it's just me. Mm-hmm. It's only me he's going through. Mm-hmm. And it's not. We're all going through some variation of it. It has a different name, mm-hmm. but we've created so much shame in our lives. So if anything, this is a vehicle to transport people out of that shame they've been experiencing with their stuff, with the lies mm-hmm. that they've told the world, mm-hmm. with uh, indiscretion, with infidelity, with whatever it is, with, with an incongruent life. Because mm-hmm. the past, your past self is just a, it's an ancestor that birthed you, mm-hmm. but it is not, it is not you anymore yeah someone once asked me at a, at a conference and you know you ever had you've had this moment right where, where someone asks you something in front of a group and something comes out of your mouth like out of your unconscious faster than you your like your prefrontal cortex can stop it right and sculpt it a little bit better mm-hmm. and it's just like and you're shocked you're as surprised at what comes out is the person it's just yeah man it's unedited and someone said if you could tell your 20 year old sub anything you know you know this question uh that you know from the vantage point of your age now what would you say in the i literally came out of my mouth you are not what you survived mm. Ooh. Yeah. wow i was Tweet like that podcast sean yeah you are not what you survived and i was like what <laughs> and then i started crying wow. and it was at that conference in florida yeah. i just i came out of my mouth and i started crying in front of like hundreds of people. Mm, wow. And, but as a four, you know, that's a high for me. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good it was a really great moment for me. Yeah. Hey, uh, Josh, Ryan, thank you. Thank you. Thank hey. you. And thank I'm you. So grateful. Oh, yeah, man. Love people and use things. Y'all, you need to go and check this book out. And that is a, that is not me doing the, you know, good podcast host thing hey everybody go out and buy josh and ryan's new book love people use things it's like i am being really really honest mm-hmm. when when i say it and like i said i read it last night but i am i've made a point of reading it again you know mm-hmm. because you got a values worksheet in the back you got man it's like it's not you there's know, some real work to do there's some real work to do and i've i've loved loved Love this time. You all, anyone wants to check them out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, their handle is at The Minimalists. You can join the six trillion other people that have on that. Yeah, it sure has. Uh, and then, of course, uh, your podcast, um, which is The Minimalists Podcast, yeah. uh, right? Which is incredibly popular as well as your two Netflix. I guess series or documentaries, right? Minimalism. And the other one is called less is now. This has been a great time. And, uh, Hey, listen up typology friends. Remember these words. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing and may you have rest until next time. Mm -hmm.